Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighters Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work, and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh and hopefully less fan-biased eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan who knows more context about the show. I'm super fan-biased. <laughs> we are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 10, Sanctuary. Scott, can you tell us about this episode? I would love to. So we enter the episode and Benjamin is asking Kira about finishing a duty roster and how she's been a little away from work and he overhears her yelling a lot and she's just really frustrated with Bajoran bureaucracy right now. And then he's like, can you work on the roster? And she's like, okay. And then we go to Quark's bar and there's some really dope ass space flute being played by this guy named uh, Verani, and he's playing a variation of the theme of Deep Space Nine at Quarks, but it's like a, like, if Kenny G was good sort of vibe, <laughs> like, watery space flute. It's just really, it's heavenly. It's it's really dope. And Quark wants to meet with Kira, because you know, Kira had him, had Verani come to quarks and deep space nine to play some music and do like a residency so he could sort of get his feet back because he was he was like a prominent musician but quark is pissed because the space flute is so mesmerizing that people are not paying are not buying things like profit is going down and but verani is like so appreciative to be playing again and it's intimated that he wasn't able to play and he's like, we need to create culture again. 
in Bajor and have music halls and rebuild Bajor because Bajor because culture and music and art is important. And Kira's like, bet that's true. Can you just play some faster music? And he's like, I can do that. And a ship comes through the wormhole with a plasma leak. And there's four people on the ship. Ben tries to talk to them. He's like, we're peaceful. But the gamma peeps are confused. They don't understand each other. They're, the translator is not used to like the complex syntax that they have. So, so there's like some, they don't understand each other vibes going on. And they need to be the taken to the infirmary. And they're not paying Benjamin much mind. They, they trust Kira right away. And they have some really cool clothes. And Bajir tends to the wounds. And then they're finally able to talk. And they're Skria. And there are three million Skria that are dispersed in the Gamma Quadrant trying to find what they have in their like religion or mythos, the eye, the eye, which is the the wormhole. And the reason why the they're sort of vibing and listening to Kira is that it turns out that the the Skrian are a matriarchy. So like all the, the, the women make the choices and they say that. It's because of this way. It's this way because men are too emotional to be leaders, and we find out that the that the per, the woman there is her name is Hanik, and she's not the leader of the group. She's a farmer. They're a farming culture. Their their whole thing is farming, and they are looking for the their land from called Kentana, which is the sacred mythological home of the Skria, and also known that they call the promised land of sorrow. And that is beyond the eye where the screen will find and bring joy. I don't know if you're sensing foreshadowing, but I certainly am. And we find out that the screens have been oppressed by the T. Rogarians for 600 years. At least that was before they were defeated and conquered by a group called the Dominion. Bah, bah, bah. So so now that they escaped, and so now all the Skria are just looking for the wormhole, and so they're the first people to do that. And Kira brings Hanuk a dress, which is like a misunderstanding of an earlier scene where Hanuk is talking before they understand each other about this dress, and it turns out that she hated the dress, and Kira's like, yeah, it's a really ugly dress. And then we see Nog and Jake talking about women, and the screens are starting to come to the station. And it's like pretty uneasy. And like Nog is causing mischief and like spraying some screens with like stink powder. And Odo and Quark have this talk about the Scria, and Quark is like they're taking up space. They're they're using they're using without participating, which is a big sort of element of the episode and so as the matriarchy start coming they just they make Hanuk the leader for this role of finding Cantana and Ben is looking for a place for them he's like I, I feel like we can find a, a planet that they could go to and v- there's a nice scene of Varani and, and Hanuk and Veronica's like, as a Bajoran, I understand what it's like to be displaced and gives her like a hologram CD. 
And then Nog and Jake get into a fight with some Screer boys, like from that they sprayed stink dust on, and the tension is building. So they, so the Foundation finds uh, an M class planet, which is like an inhabitable, an inhabitable planet called Draylon Two or Traylon Two. I, I wasn't quite sure which which one it is, whether it was a T or a D, but you know, we're working. And they're like, we're going to offer this to the Scria. But Hannock explains that it's unnecessary because looking at uh, what's going on, they believe they have found Quintana because what is Bajor but the planet of sorrow beyond the eye? And they're like, we're going to go there. So the Bajoran government comes and they've taken their request, the, the Screen's request, very seriously. And they explain why, from a logistical and pragmatic standpoint, why they can't take them and they they deny them because they feel that they can't handle three million people coming to the planet right now as a rebuilding and they're just like we're rebuilding and Hanuk's like but you could just give us the northwest peninsula it's it's farmland we can live there no one lives there we can just farm and they're like well what if there's famine what if you need stuff and they're like don't worry about us and they're like well we can't worry about you if if we need to worry about you, we're going to have to intervene and help you, and we just don't have the resources. And to help them would deprive the Bajorans. And Kira is like really torn about this. She really wishes Bajor was Quintana for them, but understands why this is an untenable move. And Hanuk is betrayed. She feels betrayed, and she's like, you came here for forgiveness, but I do not forgive you. And as as they're talking, they find out that a screen, which is Hanuk's son, is heading to Bajor in like a messed up shift to forcibly go there. And there's this like intense scene where like Bajoran vessel, like interceptor vessels come and they're like, you can't come in here. And there's a lot of confusion and they get like the, the military on board and Ben's like, do not fire on them. Do not fire on them. Except the, the screen ship are, are shooting and that likely is re- the ship is caused to explode. And because of that, the screen decide they will accept trail on two. They will go there. They will have their exodus. And Hanuk is like, we really could have been great together. And the truth is, I just feel sorry for the Bajorans, 50 years of Cardassian rule made them, made you frightened and suspicious. And Hanuk is like, you're right. Bajor is not Quintana. And the episode ends. A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi, or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com.
So we start out with Quark talking about how he tracks hourly figures, which sounded overboard in the 90s, which is the comedy. But now companies get real-time figures. So some old jokes about capitalism don't land anymore because those jokes are now capitalism. Have you ever like worked with Microsoft Teams? No. It's, it's like terrible. You can just, your boss can just contact you or call you and just like check your productivity at all moments. So now the modern boss is worse than Quark. In many ways, I think the capitalistic rat race that we live in right now is a hellhole. And the advent of just like gigantic heuristics and numbers allow bosses to look at productivity from a minute to minute standpoint. But in the 90s, this was like, yeah, it was overboard. So this Ferengi world that was supposed to be satirical and comical, now in hindsight watching it, we realize that's where we're living. The Scria situation was interesting. They're refugees who were oppressed by the T. Ragorans. I always keep thinking they're saying the Joe Rogans. Might as well be. <laughs> but the Screans were able to escape or were accidentally liberated when the Dominion conquered the Joe Rogans. It's similar to the triangle I mentioned with the single shapeshifter on Bajor with the Bajorans and with the Cardassians. So the Screans are a refugee community suffering discrimination who were previously oppressed but liberated during a war who then went off to claim what they perceived as their spiritual home, except there were already indigenous people there who have already suffered occupation before. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? This sounds awfully familiar. But unlike the fishbowl that is Earth, there was an uninhabited planet that was available for the Screans. Also, unlike our actual history, the indigenous people had to give consent for settlers to colonize. And they said no. They did not give their consent. And I get that answer. It's almost an alternate history of Israel and Palestine. Which was not the only land that was theorized to be given. There was, there was talk of Madagascar. There was talk of Alaska. There's a Michael Chabon book which looks at like an alternate history about what Alaska would have been like if it was the chosen land. It's okay. But those areas also had indigenous people there too. It also seemed like a convenient way to say the Jewish people aren't Europeans, so get the hell out of Europe. But we want you out for your own good. Oh yeah. It's complicated. So where this episode got messy was when they began to shame and guilt the Bajorans about their decision. Then one of the Screen kids who felt he was being persecuted stole a ship and tried to get to Bajor, which caused a standoff and the accidental death of the Screen kid. Kind of like the previous episode, kill off one of the characters in Crisis and end the show. Yeah, it's just like, we don't want to carry this thread for very <laughs> long, so we're just going to create some conflict to resolve. There you go. So you had these bad things happening to the Screens, but that didn't make me empathetic to the argument that the Screens were entitled to have Bajor, especially when there's a whole uninhabited planet. 
I guess like the episode before this second sight, I didn't know why I should care about these characters. There was a premise here that could have really tugged at our emotions and asked the tough questions, just like Second Sight could have. But instead, they just killed a guest of the week and called it a day. They did foreshadow this ending, though, because it started with them on a ship with a leak about to explode. And that's how the ship exploded at the end. Initially, they were grateful to the Federation for saving them. And at the end, they were not so grateful. But they also didn't paint the screens in a good light. And so when the bad thing happened to them, it was hard to really feel bad. And also the ending wasn't even that sad because people got over it pretty quick. I, you would think that the loss of a son would be a little more dramatic. And carry on to the ending of the episode, right? Yeah. The only thing is that they did get a place to go. They got a planet. So I guess like that was a consolation. It wasn't the planet. Well, at the end, maybe it was their Quintana, you know? She did say that. At the end, she said, oh, I know for sure now Bajor is not Quintana. It's a complicated situation that's definitely emblematic of the time and what is happening in many places in the world right now of rapid displacement. I think the whole way this episode was executed could have been nuanced, but instead it made the screens more one-dimensional and comical. And that final speech that you were mentioning kind of sounded like a weird breakup, but with someone you never got into a relationship with, which was also a comical motif in 90s episodes of the week, right? You could have a show, let me give you an example, like a 90s show, The Wonder Years, let's say, and there's this girl that likes the Fred Savage character and the Fred Savage character doesn't like her, doesn't want to go out with her. And then at the end, he has to basically tell her because he was trying to avoid it. Then she's at the end like, you don't know what you're missing. It was kind of like that kind of ending. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that was kind of how it read to me. Am I being too harsh, Scott? A little. I think this episode is a little better than our than the previous episode. I'd give this episode a non-mythological three, though it's lightly mytholo- It's lightly mythological. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that word. I can't even help you. <laughs> yeah. It's lightly in the mythology because they mention the Dominion. Yes, I like that. But that's about it. I like that slow burn of the Dominion. And I will agree with you. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. This episode was much better than Second Sight. Second Sight was, I'd rather watch this episode like several times as reruns than ever watch Second Sight again. I got it off the checklist. I watched it, right? I don't need to watch it again. If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. Again, these are these are purely episodes for the completest. These are episodes that I have skipped on my previous rewatches. 
I do think, though, because of the order of the episodes and the previous one didn't mention the Dominion, and then we get a mention of the Dominion again, there is this kind of like buildup, this anticipation that you could only get, I guess, by being a completist. But it's like, how much of a complete experience do you want, right? <laughs> if you want the total complete experience, you have to watch it in this order and watch all the episodes so that you get these little breadcrumbs for something big that's going to come down the pipe later. Yeah, and it's like literally one sentence. Yes. <laughs> but it did that same thing again, where it kind of zoomed back, and then you got some people's facial expressions, and they pause, and they're like, what? Whenever they do that in 90s TV, you know that's important. Yeah, because like they're building it up, which is like a fun trope. I've joked with you, like, I was like, oh, I doubt they're going to mention the Dominion again. So they're selling it hard. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about this episode? Am I missing anything here? Am I, are we missing some grand thing about this episode? Well, I think that something that we've been talking about in this season that is that the writers, it feels like the writers are trying to talk about deeper meanings, but I just think they missed the mark a little bit. I think they were, I think they were probably trying to talk about the Middle East or other conflicts. I don't remember exactly what year this came out in and what conflicts were happening, but I'm sure they were trying to draw on something, but they but by making the screens more of a one-dimensional as you pointed out, I think they missed some opportunities. So I don't know if this is cheating or not, but after I watch this episode because I saw a strong premise that didn't deliver. I did look up the episode of Memory Alpha to get some kind of insight into what the writers were thinking, right? And what was interesting was like the writers did want you to feel sympathy for the screens and also they wanted to paint Kira in their own words in a bad light, like kind of show like, hey, she has this side of her that isn't so nice, right? She should have been nicer to these people, been more empathetic, right? But then reading about the screens, you're like, why did the makeup look the way they did, right? And it's like, they wanted them to be annoying where they literally left pieces of themselves everywhere, like an annoying house guest. Yeah. So there's something that was mentioned briefly was how they would constantly shed their skin everywhere and you'd have little screen skin flakes wherever they were around. And another thing they did throughout the episode was they constantly took shit without asking, right? So this is where the writers then worked against themselves. You say you want us to feel bad for them and empathize with them and judge Kira negatively to show that she's three-dimensional. She has a dark side to her as well, but we're not brought there emotionally because you also made the screen so annoying. It's not just my interpretation. They literally said that's what they were also going for with these characters. Like they were these annoying house guests. So mixed messages here. I don't know ultimately what they were trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah, I just think like it's it's a fine episode with some cool ideas that left me wanting a little more. I guess that's what happens, right? Sometimes you're writing something and you put a bunch of interesting ideas together. And some people think that is what good writing is. But sometimes ideas that are interesting in isolation don't gel together to create cohesion. So then you might actually take away from the overall plot. Fair enough. Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode? So the next episode is called Rivals, and Quark gets a rival. Okay. Until then. Da-na-na-na.